The people at Davos have a lot of plans for us. Listen to some of their plans. Do you think the market is capable of dealing with these things, or do you think it ultimately comes from governments that have to push the market into these things? No, I think capital markets are actually in the lead at the moment. So more and more investors are beginning to map what are climate risks, how do certain assets com compare to those climate risks, begin to price it in. And so over time, what you'll see is companies that really are investing in the transitions will attract the lower cost of capital, and that's going to accelerate the transition. And then, yes, sure, the laggards, they will need to be regulated towards uh, those type of solutions. But I think the, the combination of corporate innovation with capital market pricing will, uh, will be the accelerator of all this. <laughs> will it? The guy who asked that question, Andrew Lawton, joins us in The Todd Herman Show. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Thanks to the folks at uh, Allen's Artisan Soaps, partnership based upon the dignity of life and the reality that uh, all life is valuable, even lives impacted dramatically by autism. Allen'sSoaps.com, A-L-A-N-S, Soaps.com. Uh, the Davos stuff, uh, the plans that they have for us, and God laughs at the schemes of men. I was just thrilled to find out um, that this gentleman is kind enough to follow me on Twitter. Andrew Lawton is the host of The Andrew Lawton Show. He's a columnist, speaker. He said he's an attempted politician, senior journalist at True North, the True North Center. All these are linked uh, in the show notes. Andrew Lawton joins us on The Todd Herman Show. So welcome to the Todd Herman Show, Andrew Lawton. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me on. I'm relieved to see, or at least I'm assuming you're in Canada. I'm relieved to see that Justin Trudeau did not have the police forces there to uh, force you to the ground and not let you home. <laughs> no, it didn't happen. I mean, I was uh, pepper sprayed in February by police covering the trucker convoy in Ottawa. But so, so anything is now just like a cakewalk compared to that. <laughs> What's that like uh, right now in Canada? We'll get into the Davos stuff, but what are things like up there? I've got a friend, Kate Wand, um, who does a lot of video lock work around COVID, et cetera. But what's the state of play with the citizens up there and what's gone on? It's a bit weird. I, I mean, we have in, in this country right now still a huge divide, a, a significant kind of divide on, on segregation on vaccine lines. So for example, if you're not vaccinated, you can't board a plane in Canada. You still have to, if you do manage to somehow get out of the country, when you come back, you've got to quarantine and do all these things. So, so we have this division and no end in sight for it. I mean, Justin Trudeau has decided to just wage war against the unvaccinated. And this goes back to when he was running for re-election in the fall and through the trucker convoy and all of that. So there still is, even when, I mean, like I said, I was just in Europe yeah. and there it's just like the pandemic never happened. And then you come back to Canada and you got like the air, uh, the flight attendant barking at you to keep your mask on because you took too long to eat your pretzels or something <laughs> like that. That's, that's basically the Canadian identity right now. Well, it's, it's fascinating because, um, I live in the free portion of America or freer, uh, the high mountains of free America in Idaho. 
and people here masks for about two weeks. And then there's, no, nah, we're not doing it. And businesses stayed closed for like two weeks and said, we're not doing it. But right next door is the communist country of Washington state. And they still wear masks. I was over there a, a week ago. They still do that. Um, it's a weird time. You had a video um, and we'll work our way into Davos here. Um, you have a video up on your Twitter channel, by the way, Andrew's Substack is linked. His podcast is linked. Um, Twitter's linked just so you have all these resources. Um, it's a weird time to be an independent journalist. You had a, uh, on your, on your Twitter a video of a woman being arrested at the Ford nation rally. Uh, she's a journalist and a lawyer. What kind of violence did she cause or vandalism to, to get arrested that way? Yeah. And just, just for context. Yeah. So this is a woman, she, she's on the left. I, I don't see eye to eye with her on most things, but she's an independent journalist. She does a very dogged job of, of documenting the people that she wants to cover. And uh, she was trying to cover a rally held by the conservative leader, the conservative premier, which is the uh, Ontario version of, of a governor, the, the conservative premier. And it was a conservative or a purported conservative who had her hauled away from this event in handcuffs. No one has so far produced any evidence that she was causing a scene or being disruptive. They may have thought she was going to do that, but she didn't actually do it. And I, I try to avoid supporting this idea of thought crimes or minority report as future crimes yet, but that's basically what happened to her. Wow. That's big of you to try to, you know, hold yourself back from wanting people arrested for things they might do. Um, that's, that's big hearted of you. And well, I, that, that's radical and that's a radical concept in Canada. I mean, that's like that, that, that's tough on crime is actually in Canada, but like how, how far into the future you'll prosecute people for things they haven't done yet. It's, it's truly that bad. It's truly that bad there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so we're not quite there yet. Although um, if you happen to stay within the velvet ropes because cops let you in the U.S. Capitol, you can find yourself in a jail cell for a very, very long time. Um, so in Davos, um, you went, you didn't get arrested, but let's start with a broad question. Do the people there who attend this stuff, did they understand the amount of suspicion so many of us have about them and their agenda? So shockingly, no. And, and that was one of the things I, I found really interesting about it because you go into it and there, there's a mix because you have some people that just think that they're sacrificing babies on a satanic altar and running the world like the shadowy cabal. Yeah. And then you've got another class of critics, which is the, the category into which I fall, which look at the policies they're putting forward, look at the influence they're cultivating with world leaders, look at their agenda on climate change, on free speech and stuff like this. And you say, there's something they're pushing that's very dangerous for free societies, for free markets, for individual freedom. And it's dangerous to see how many world leaders want to go along with that. So my government in Canada has often been a big supporter of WEF. The Biden administration sent John Kerry. They're kind of all in on this climate stuff. And that's the category that I was trying to carve out a space on. And, and you talk to people there and there, there are, there are different people that attend that are invited there. There are like the corporate clingers on yeah. that are trying to be in the presence of people they think are important. They aren't really true believers. They're not ideologues. They just want to be in the happening place and, and rub shoulders with the powerful. And then you've got the people that are the, the elite, the, the ones that walk around with what are called white badges because that's how you identify they're important. They wear a white badge with a dark blue line on it. And those are the VIPs. Those are the, the CEOs, the executives, the politicians. And a lot of them truly are what I would call true believers in, in that they are, are just all in 
on this. And if you talk to them, I mean, I had a few that, that did kind of engage with me for, for a significant period of time and, and talk about it. And they're kind of just, they're so disconnected from what it is that people don't like about it and what it is people don't get. Like they're aware of the conspiracy theories, but they don't get the legitimate criticism. And because of that, it becomes very easy to dismiss any criticism as a so-called yeah. conspiracy theory. Uh, okay. So with me, uh, I think that they want to alter humanity entirely um, using MRNA and code. And I think they said it. Um, so for instance, um, what's his name? This guy's a creepy guy. Uh, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, and he's an advisor uh, to Klaus Schwab. And he has said that we are the last generation of homo sapiens. Um, because they're going to do real intelligent design, not, not coming from some elf man in the sky. I happen to be a Christian, so I don't believe the Lord Jesus is an elf man in the sky. Um, but he has also talked about, um, we can now make gods. So <laughs> I look at this and say, what part of, of them saying they want to do this or advisors, other advisors to Schwab, a U.S. professors saying, yeah, we probably need to kill six or seven billion people, but do it equitably and slowly and gently or have a really strong, smart di dictatorship that I don't I don't know that that's a conspiracy theory as much as they're just saying, hey, here's what we'd like to do. Yeah, and I mean, the, the most charitable defense of that that they'd give, because I didn't bring up that example, but I brought up other ones, like, you know, the famous one that a lot of people cite is when one of their thinkers a while ago had said, you know, in the future, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So yeah. this abolition of property, of ownership. And, and, and when you say that, people say, oh, well, we're, we're just an ideas place. And we just let people come and bring their ideas. And, and we're just a platform. They, they yeah. do the Facebook, Twitter thing. They, they do like Regulation 230. Like, yeah. oh, no, no, we're just a platform. We're just a platform. We just let people come and, and say these things. And we, we would have people that say other yeah. things too. That's, that's kind of how they do it. But it's like, okay, so, but you do stand for things. You do have an agenda. You do have things that you propose. So I, when, whenever they're faced with criticism of the really contentious stuff, they sort of default to, no, 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 we just bring people together and they say what they think. All right. So let's, let's talk about some of your work there, Andrew. Um, you had an opportunity to speak with, was this guy, his, he's the business council for sustainable development CEO, Peter Baker. Did he have the important badge, the, the super cool badge? Yeah, oh yeah, he was, it was very much on the white badge <laughs> list. Yeah. All right. So you spoke to him. This is a little clip. It's sort of the, the um, wrap up of your conversation. Uh, and he had this to say about people who may want to use math to determine a business's financial position, things like profit and loss and um, you know, just good old fashioned math. Do you think the market is capable of dealing with these things or do you think it ultimately comes from governments that have to uh, push the market into these things? No, I think capital markets are actually in the lead at the moment. So more and more investors are beginning to map what are climate risks, how do certain assets com compare to those climate risks, begin to price it in. And so over time, what you'll see is companies that really are investing in the transitions will attract the lower cost of capital and that's going to accelerate the transition. And then, yes, sure, the laggards, they will need to be regulated towards uh, those type of solutions. But I think the, the combination of corporate innovation with capital market pricing will uh, will be the accelerator of all this. Okay, so Andrew, that rolls off the tongue really nicely for him. Yeah, we'll have to force people. <laughs> Any awareness? 
This, this yeah, and the, so the one big concept that is really a recurring theme for the Weffers is this idea of stakeholder capitalism. And this, I mean, this is the what they view as the replacement, the successor of shareholder capitalism, which is actual capitalism, which is where the owner of the company is the owner of the company. And they believe that companies should almost have this quasi-state-like relationship where they need to serve a broader agenda and they need to serve their communities and the global community and climate initiatives and the UN and, but also the private sector. And they're saying, no, 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 it's not that it's not socialism because they're still companies, they're still yeah. private corporations, but they have to be beholden to all of these things. And uh, one thing I would point out, Todd, if you're, and I don't want to get too boring here, so feel free to pull me down to earth. If I do, <laughs> there's the UN has this uh, big thing called the sustainable development goals, yeah. which is this, sort of master plan for what the UN wants to do around the world on hunger and gender and education and climate and healthcare. And there's a logo for the SDGs, which is a, a circle, a hollowed out circle that has little wedges in it uh, of different colors to represent each of the SDGs. And walking around, you see a ton of people wearing these things. And I think, oh, they must be UN employees, UN employees. And then you get close and you look at their name tag and say, well, that's, no, that's the president of Microsoft. Oh, that's the president of Accenture. Oh, that's uh, someone from Salesforce. Oh, that's someone from here. Uh, in fact, that Peter Baker uh, in that clip you just mentioned from the World Sustainable Development, he was wearing one of them. So you have all of these corporate leaders that are literally wearing UN pins. Uh, and, it's, and that's kind of the epitome of the, the, the World Economic Forum model of just completely obliterating that public-private line that we all know. Well, to me, the other aspect of this that is fascinating is COVID, the response to COVID was pulled off by completely burying math, just utterly, utterly obliterating it. Who's at risk? Well, really, everybody uh, can die at any minute from COVID, says, says the Fouch, <laughs> right? And then, and then this, this use of cases, 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 which literally means nothing with the PCR test scam. So they, they, they just destroyed context. The ESG score, utterly subjective, environment, social justice, governance. Um, and this is going to be access to the capital markets. This rolls up into BlackRock and, and um, uh, Vanguard, and they want this stuff done, utterly subjective. And it also comes at a time when I don't know what Canada's debt position is, but the United States is soaked. We're drained. We're a debtor nation. We can't pay this back. Everybody knows that. Can't be done. So now they insert irrationality into business and they can step back. Well, balance sheets don't matter. Debt doesn't matter. We're growing trees. I I don't mean to be conspiratorial with you or boring with you, but I mean, tell me, does that sound like a overheated analysis of ESG to you? Well, I, no, I think I think you're raising an important problem that needs to be addressed and, and is do I mean, they're doing the opposite of this because these people don't actually care about the nation state. These people love the the European Union idea yes. of nationhood, which is to say nationhood that doesn't really exist. And the problem with that is that they would say, oh, well, national debt. Well, that that's that's just all the more reason we need to globalize. Uh, globalized finance, globalized debt, globalized the economy. And I'm, I mean, it's terrible that what was once the most powerful nation on earth is now like going to qualify for some of these World Bank debt uh, forgiveness programs uh, before long because it can't afford to. And then who who's the beneficiary of all this debt? China. I mean, China's the, the one going around getting more indebted nations, but it's the one 
holding the chip. So I, I think there's a huge problem here. And, and you've got organizations like WEF that are, are just focusing more on keeping China happy to get their money to the table than anything else. You know, I was going to actually ask you if you could send us some baby formula. Cause, cause, <laughs> send us a what? <laughs> baby formula. We, we, we yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the supposedly most powerful nation on earth, we've run out. Um, I wanted to play yeah, this. I was, at, oh, I was at the pharmacy this morning yeah. and they started to ration it. So it's like uh, oh, toilet paper in March 2020 where you're only allowed to buy you know, one box or uh, whatever it is. So uh, if, if they, I don't have any kids, so I can buy my box and send it down to you if you'd like. Right. Yes. That'd be great. Uh, I want to play this for you because it's the premier of Ontario. Uh, Jason Kenny, he came down to the United States and he testified about the ESG score and he said something that I didn't even know. And, and, and this connects a lot of dots to what you're saying. Davos says, Hey, let's forget the nation state. Let's let's we've done so well as governments managing nation states, let's manage the world because then, man, then we'll get it all worked out. Um, this is him in the United States Senate talking about a key aspect of the ESG score. Here's the peculiar thing. Of the top 10 reserves uh, in the world, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Iran, Iraq, Russia, Kuwait, UAE, the US and Libya. Uh, apart from the United States and Canada, the other eight top 10 reserves are in countries where energy is developed largely by state-owned enterprises or quasi-state-owned enterprises who are not subject to ESG criteria. So if financial markets strangle uh, the publicly traded transparent companies in North America, all this will do is ship production to uh, some of these world's worst regimes and their state-owned enterprises. So that's really fascinating and it plays into your analysis. And and I, I want to loop it back to where we began talking about Davos. Did they understand that some countries have truly evil governments? So I don't know. I mean, I think they have to. Uh, one example of this, there was a discussion on the, the energy crisis uh, that took place at, at Davos a few days back. I think yeah. it might've been on Monday or Tuesday. And one of the panelists was the Indian minister of petroleum and natural gas, uh, Hardeep Singh Puri, I think is his name. And he was talking about, oh yeah, we need to accelerate the transition and do all this. And everyone's saying this. And meanwhile, India, I mean, the second largest emitter in the world, and I ran into him on the street a few hours later and I had my microphone and camera. So I, I yeah. did a, I interviewed, I mean, it's a one question interview, yeah. but I, I interviewed him and I said, you know, is this even a realistic goal? And he, he kind of pivoted in that moment when he was away from the Davos event center and said, well, you know, if you bring this up uh, in other countries in the world, specifically in the developing world, they're going to have a much different view of transitioning away from, from oil and gas. So there is a reality there. I mean, forgetting about just the dem democracy and, and freedom aspect, which uh, Jason Kenney was talking about, but there's an aspect of all of these pie in the sky ideas of, you know, really looking at energy as this luxury item that we can just decide, uh, apparently in Davos, we don't need in the developing world, which is supposed to be the priority of all of these initiatives. Uh, they rely on fog. They need coal, they need oil, they need yeah. gas. So, it's just so disconnected from the situation in the nations that are the ones most affected by these things. And I have that audio. This is, uh, this is Andrew in that exact conversation. Uh, you were on a panel about oil and gas and energy yeah, this yeah, morning. Do you yeah. think uh, phasing out of fossil fuels is actually a realistic goal? Look, uh, I said what I had to, but you know, if you were to do that survey in uh, different parts of the world, if you were to do it, for instance, in South, Ash South Asia or Africa, or in uh, Latin America, you'd get results that might be a little different from the kind of results you're getting here. Uh, just one thing that really stood out about that to me. I said what I had to. 
That's, that's a weird formulation. That's a weird formulation. Now, he may be saying, I said what I had to say. Right? That's, that's what I had to say. That was me. I chose to say that. But it's a bizarre formulation. And you clearly, English is not a first language. But I said what I had to. Did that strike you as odd? Yeah, it's funny. I was so focused on the second half of it. I didn't really pick up on that. I, I took the interpretation that you just uh, offered as an alternative, which is, yeah, you know, I said... I said everything that I, I have to say I, I, is how I interpret it. But again, I also would be remiss to not point out, as I did a few moments ago, that there was a bit of a difference right. in how he spoke on that panel and how he spoke off the panel. And the thing is, in Canada, you know, we have a minister of the environment who the liberals have renamed the minister of environment and climate change. In India, his job is Minister of Natural Gas and Petroleum. I mean, it's not Minister of Solar and Wind. It's Minister of Natural <laughs> Gas and Petroleum. So and he, he, re, he represents a country that needs oil and gas for its one billion people. They mentioned, and he mentioned as well, things are going to go differently elsewhere um, in the developing nations, you would say. But look, the analysis in the United States is we can't run anything on wind. We can run a small neighborhood of a medium-sized city on wind, um, and they continue to push this forward. Meanwhile, energy prices are skyrocketing. Gas prices are skyrocketing. And I'm going back to something that was beginning of COVID. There was a meeting with some Canadian scientists and Fauci and a lot of the people who really, really pushed the lockdowns and the masks and everybody needs to get shot up with the mRNA. And the panel started off with a guy talking about the existing medical system. And he said, why don't we just blow it up? Why don't we just blow it up? And I, I believe, and you and I may come at this from a completely different angle. I believe they're blowing up the global economy. I, I think they do have, I mean, they, they have a fundamentally different view of, of how the things in the world should operate. And, and I, I guess the two main views that one could take of this is, are they right? Are they already winning? And when you have corporate leaders that are walking around trying to grovel towards this, maybe they're already winning. Maybe it's yeah. too late to do anything about it. But, but I, I do think that, I mean, fundamentally they're all capitalists in the sense that yes, they own their companies, they have their private jets, they have their billions. I, I think the big thing is they want a capitalism that, that is, is more of a kleptocracy or I guess plutocracy. And, and they want to be the ones making all of these rules that affect us, that affect you and right. me and, and right. all those listening. And that's what they want to blow it up. They don't want to blow it up for them, just for the rest of us. <laughs> well, I feel deeply comforted uh, that they don't want to you know, blow it up for themselves. And that makes all the sense in the world. Um, hey, listen, this is the first time you and I've met. I was really happy to see that you follow me on Twitter. You have every license in the world to tell me. And I won't take the least bit of offense of, hey, Todd, you're way too freaked out about these cats. Because, you know, Andrew, I'm freaked out about these guys, really because um, there's very few things that the Lord has blessed me with knowledge of. Uh, they are politics, they are media, uh, and they're tech, because my background is tech CEO and, and multiple-time startup founder. What I watched in the response to COVID was the, the most globally coordinated, anti-speech, um, tyrannical, um, bereft of any sort of scientific rigor, uh, to this day, in this moment, everybody needs to get shot up. Though the injections don't, in fact, stop transmission or infection and may cause um, immuno uh, derangement in people. But still, the drumbeat continues. And I'm watching as our energy sectors are gutted, um, and we're switching over now to this this non math. 
And I, I am deeply concerned about these guys, but look, you and I can be people of good faith. And, and I know you to be an intelligent man because I follow you. You have every license to say, Hey, Todd, dude, you are freaked out over. Maybe you shouldn't be as freaked out. I mean, it's okay to say that. Well, let me, let me try to answer with someone else's word. Do you happen to have the clip of the Alibaba group president? Yes, I've played it. I don't have it handy, but I played it where he talks about the voluntary um, system of tracking what you eat and where you go, et cetera, but it's voluntary. I have that, but I also yeah, have the, yeah. the clip of the Pfizer CEO talking about the, the pill you eat that then reports back to see if you in fact ate it. Yeah. So I, I think that the Alibaba, I mean, that clip of the Alibaba guy, who's actually a Canadian, uh, which is, I think, the most despicable thing when you've got wow. people from the West that are just bought up with Chinese money yeah. to uh, to do something that is, is basically this quote-unquote voluntary uh, carbon tracking, which sounds a lot like China's social credit system. But right. I, I think this is important because vaccination, when it was announced, was voluntary as well. And a lot of the COVID measures that were initially pre- presented to us, like masking and social distancing, yeah. were voluntary as well. And we, and we saw in COVID how how voluntary for your health things can very quickly become mandatory, especially in a Canadian context. I, I saw this firsthand and my friends in Australia and Britain and Europe and, and some states as well. I mean, California even saw this as well. So I think that that's a big danger. Now, when you see people like him that are talking about that, people that maybe he flew there on a private jet, maybe he yeah. flew commercial, I don't know, but people that have a carbon footprint, that are concerned about whether I might eat beef or whether I might drive a big car or something like that. Like there, there's obviously something that's being done to you yeah. that you need to pay attention to. So should we be terrified of it? I don't think, and, and this is where you and I may disagree. I don't think Klaus Schwab is sitting in a room running the world. But what I think is that they present and provide this forum that brings corporate leaders and government leaders together which provides opportunities for a lot of discussions that are not transparent. I mean, it's not, why do you think it's so important for them to have this in-person conference? It's not for the things that you can see on video. It's for the meetings they're all having uh, behind the scenes because they're all in one place. And, and those sorts of deals, those agreements, I think we'll never know, but I think they are significant. But beyond that, I think that it, it provides political cover to leaders around the world that want to do horrific things that affect freedom, that affect, uh, you know, the free market, that affect capitalism, because they're saying, oh, well, you know, in Norway, they're doing this. No, and here they're doing it. Here they're doing it. And I think that's the bigger risk is that you've got countries and leaders like my own prime minister that buy into this wholeheartedly. And I think that in a way is more dangerous because they're actually drinking the Kool-Aid. It's not that someone's forcing them. It's they actually want it. And this organization kind of facilitates the platform for talking about and promoting these ideas. I don't know that we're that far apart, Andrew. I, I don't think that Klaus Schwab is personally running things, but I think he has bought a lot of people and trained a lot of people who are running things. And Justin Trudeau was one of his young leaders and he brags of that. I'm sure you've played that sound clip of Klaus Schwab yeah. bragging about, we penetrate cabinets and then he names names. Uh, and it happens that his agenda has somehow become the agenda of many. Uh, zero COVID was was an example of that. And then um, we have the, I refer to her as the dictator of New Zealand coming out and saying, oh yeah, no, we've got a plan. It's the 2030 agenda. Um, and we see a transference in the United States. I don't know if it's happening up there that the same companies who backed the you will own nothing and be happy scenario, um, they're buying entire neighborhoods, 400, 500 houses and turning them into rentals while Bloomberg News 
puts out a piece, a literal, you know, from Bloomberg saying homeownership is a bad idea for people. You shouldn't own homes. You, 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 you should sell them. People shouldn't own homes, but that implies you sell them to who? Right. Other people, but big groups. So I don't think we're that far off. I, I don't I don't think Klaus Schwab is a world dictator. I just I, I think that he's done a brilliant job of going from an idea factory um, into training a bunch of people who truly, as you say, drink the Kool-Aid. Um, but I do know that a lot of money's moved around like in our country. Well, globally, Bill Gates bought positive media coverage for himself as the COVID czar. So money moves things. But I like your analysis. I think it's sober and I think it's, I think it's smart and wise. It shows restraint and you've been there. So huge respect for you uh, for going up and for sharing this. And uh, you're going to be on your podcast. You're going to be getting into detail on this. So my audience needs to hear that because I would like to hear them uh, hear your analysis as well. So when's that going to, when's that going to drop? I'm actually, I'm going to do a live show on uh, Friday talking about it, but it'll be available uh, this weekend. Okay, good. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, um, I don't know where you're at uh, faith wise, but I will pray for Canada, man. And if, uh, um, because we need an amen, Todd. Okay, all right. So at least I can get an amen on that. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us. Thank you for being an independent journalist. Thank you for being brave. Hey, thank you. reaching across the uh, international boundaries. Okay, so this is the perfect time. Sometimes this just happens. We don't plan it this way, but it is the perfect time to mention that not everybody in the world of finance is, is wanting to follow the Klaus Schwab way, either because they want to or they're economically handled into doing that. Well, for instance, you have people who are starting companies that are, in fact, based upon income and based upon the sane ideas of income and based upon the performance. I am drinking this morning the Dark Roast, a bone frog coffee, one such company, because that company run by 25-year uh, Navy veteran and Navy SEAL, Tim Cruikshank, they don't get the advantage of, oh, but ESG score. You know, they only continue to thrive if the product continues to throw. Because, look, I'll be honest. People try bone frog coffee because they'll hear the story. It's a fantastic story. They know that the bags of coffee say on them, God, country, team. Um, they know, right, that's, that our servicemen who risk dying for us deserve our support when they start businesses. But if the coffee's not great, people don't continue. I have yet I have yet to have anyone send me a note saying the coffee's not stellar. And it goes back to uh, like the SEAL mentality, the Navy SEAL mentality. You'll never you know, hear in the SEAL community. Someone says, hey, I forgot our infrared goggles. You'd never hear. Oh, that's cool, bro. <laughs> because the details keep you alive. Right. And they allow you to kill the enemy and they keep you alive. So the detail for Tim and the team at Bone Frog Coffee is the coffee. It is the product. And we want you to know that the economic thriving of this podcast, uh, with which the Lord has just absolutely blessed us, first of all, our relationship with you. Secondly, the relationship with partners like Tim. Tim and I, our, our economics are tied together. Because we made a promise when we began this program, uh, the Lord has blessed us with you. And as we introduce companies to you, particularly companies that are up and coming like Bonefrog, you know, we cut deals with them. We wouldn't with other more established companies. 
So our growth is Tim's growth, and Tim's growth is your, is, is our growth in in this in this portion of how we interact. That's why we created the Bone Frog subscription plan, five percent off lifetime, rest of your life. You get the five percent off. It's bonefrog.us, bonefrog.us. It continues to uh, reverberate the event that we did in Bothell, uh, Washington, now, uh, gosh, 10 days ago. And I continue to get emails that, that so radically differ uh, in approach and in how people perceive the event. I've had one, one email from a gentleman named David uh, who was deeply disappointed with the event and said that I, I, I was way, he didn't say what he said. He said, I missed the target badly. He wanted to hear something that, that he didn't hear. And I'm going to reach out to him, but uh, he felt like he didn't hear from me that whether God was going to rescue America or not. And that's not, that's, that, that's not my perception of how I presented things. What, what I presented, my perception was, it was that God is asking us, are you going to save souls? Saving souls will have the byproduct of saving America. If, if the nation becomes a godly nation again, the nation's going to be saved. And, and that's my view. But that's the byproduct because the core product is, hey, let's get as many people into heaven as possible. And I think I found a way to explain this because then there's this point of view. Um, this is from Jeremiah. Hey, Todd, I've been listening to you since I discovered you filling in for Rush. I listened to the podcast of your radio show and now your, and, and now your current podcast. I wish I could have made the event last week, but I'm in Colorado. I was slightly discouraged when I heard you mention that you recited the Pledge of Allegiance. The intent of the PA is anti-God. Yes, it contains the word under God, but those were added later. The original pledge was created by a socialist teacher for the purpose of indoctrinating students and swearing their fealty to the state over God and family. As a Christian, my allegiance is to God. As an American, my oath is to uphold and defend the Constitution. I have no allegiance to a piece of cloth or a government it represents. Pledging allegiance means swearing to support the government in all things. To criticize the government or its actions is to violate the pledge. Swearing fealty to the state is what they do in communist China, North Korea, or Russia. How can any Christian, conservative, libertarian, or constitution-loving American recite this pledge? I, under the, I, under, I understand people think they're showing their love for the country, but the reality is exactly the opposite. Please consider thus. Thank you. Love the show and how you interject God so much from Jeremiah. So let's take that and add this to the note I got from David. I'm thinking of bringing David on the show because I want to hear what he thinks I said about the country. He began his statement by saying, I, was, I loved the Pledge of Allegiance. I love that there was this pledge. I was teary-eyed. Then I have this note from Lucas. Dear Todd, I was at the event in Bothell. I brought my wife and my young daughter. After the event and after meeting you and shaking hands, we went into the parking lot and sat in our car. None of us were really ready to leave. You said something to us that was so deeply affecting when we spoke privately. You looked at me and said, if you will keep your daughter as a member of the family of Christ, you will not just be bringing her to heaven, but you will in fact be rebuilding 
a society that has had the word of God stolen from them. Todd, the reason we sat in the car is I've not been taking my family to church any more than a couple times a year. I felt convicted of that and so did my wife. And then our daughter said from the back seat, I think we should go to church more often. I know that you're going to credit the Holy Spirit with this because that's who you are, but it was your words that you spoke. From the Pledge of Allegiance, which brought us to tears, to the end of the event, we were deeply touched. I want you to know that, and I'd like you to tell your team the same. Lucas. So there's this range of views. Here's what I want to ask you to consider. And this comes, uh, this must come from where you're at in your faith walk. You will remember in the Bible where the Lord Jesus, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always trying to trick him. And they're always trying to trip him up in, in terms of his scriptural knowledge. And they never succeeded. Well, because he's God himself, God's son and God. And therefore it's his word that they're trying to trip him up on and, and God doesn't get confused. So of course he won every debate. And, and I pointed out time and again, he didn't need to debate those people. There was no reason on earth that he needed to debate those people. Right. He, he, he had nothing to, he had nothing to gain. It's not like he couldn't have wiped them off the earth or, or blinked his eye and turned them into toads and said, Hey, how you like me now? You, you think I'm the son of God now? And they would have said, no, 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 you're Satan. And, and you did that through chicanery. He was debating for us. So when the Sadducees, or I always get the two confused as to who went to try to trick them, Sadducees, Pharisees, I would say it this way. The religious bureaucrats of the day went to the Lord Jesus and said, Hey, Rabbi, should we pay our taxes? to Rome and what they were setting up. This is the trap they thought they were in that they were trapping him in. Of course, the Israeli people being oppressed by Rome and Rome running a very, very thin line between just obliterating their faith and, and sort of letting them practice it. But the, but the bosses of the faith, the religious bureaucrats of the day understood quite fully that they get to do that at the pleasure of, of Rome. And so there was this cozying and people saw that as, as selling out and, and people saw that as collaborating with the enemy, which is why it was so controversial when the Lord Jesus called Matthew, a tax collector to follow him. So they thought they had laid out in front of the Lord Jesus, the ultimate trap in terms of rhetoric. But the way the Lord Jesus approached that moment is to me instructive of how we must view our country in comparison to the Lord and in comparison to God. I just did the, uh, you know, just talked about my friends at Bonefrog Coffee, God, country, team. I've told my daughter from the day she was born, my personal principles flow in this order. God, country, family, friends, work. And I didn't always, I didn't always live those principles, but they are my principles. And sometimes I allowed things like iconic things like, Hey, wow, my daughter's a nationally ranked speed skater. Let's let's, why do we need church on Sundays? Now we'll go once in a while. I gave into it, but that moment 
the Lord Jesus and how he dealt with that to me is one maybe one of the ways to combine all of these emails, all of these views of will God rescue America and maybe bring some peace to that. I'll explain that in just a second. You know that uh, we have every Friday, Zach Abraham of Bulwark Capital Management on this program. And over the years, Zach and I become friends. You know, you can learn a lot about a cat when you, when you go do a really significantly difficult workout with him. I know, I know, I know. I, I, we talk about working out too much. But I did, I took Zach in a workout when I was at the premier fitness I, I think I've ever been. I may never be at that level of fitness again. Um, I was working out two or three times a day. So it was an unfair contest. Zach was just getting back out into working into working out. And we did the first portion of the workout. And I was still jazzed, man. I still had it. I ready to go for more. So I put on my weight vest. We're going to do some bear crawls and some thrusters. And Zach looked at that. He goes, no, nah, I don't want any part of that. Really, man? Come on, let's do this. He goes, no, nah, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready. I don't want any part of that. This is Todd. I'm going to fail. I'm going to, just, I'm, I'm going to get broken. It takes incredible humility to say that. And so we stopped. We went had a great lunch. But that was a moment where I realized this guy's not fronting. Right. And Bulwark Capital Management's the same. You'll, you'll hear Zach come on the program and talk about the performance of their funds and their various funds and, and how they do. But you will never hear him say, oh, and, and this is what I say is going to happen. You'll hear him say constantly, I don't know what's going to happen. But that goes to their approach. Bulwark Capital Management is based upon risk management. It's a risk management strategy because they work with so many people who are headed towards retirement. And it's fantastic that you have a 2% or a 4% increase or a 6 or 8%, particularly when the market is so insane and the free money and the 0% interest rate loans to the big banks is continuing. You can have a drop of 30% in your retirement fund and all of a sudden you are not ready to retire. So it's that humility is and also smarts as to why Zach avoids the old 60-40 stock bond mix. They're so active. They hedge. So meaning that they have, oh yeah, we have gold, but we have an antecedent to gold. And you know, they're talking about buying the guts of the economy. Yep, you know, we're buying petroleum. We're buying copper because it's going to be needed if we're going to go all solar. It comes from a position of humility. Call lower capital management and see if you are in the right risk position leading up to your retirement. They're at 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Remember, investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative at Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. So when the um, religious bureaucrats went to the Lord Jesus and they presented him, should we pay, with the, with the, the devilishly, clever question they thought of, should we pay our taxes, rabbi? He said, do you have a coin? And they showed him a coin. They handed it to him and he looked at it. And they said, handed it back. Render unto Caesars that which is his and unto God Almighty that which is his. That's brilliant. It also goes to what we are to do as a nation, as a nation of Christians. Well, we're not a nation of Christians, but as Christians spending time in this nation because it's not our home. Romans 13 and other directives say we're to follow the authorities unless the authorities violate the word of God. And given our structure, 
One of the reasons this nation has, in my opinion, thrived is because our founders created in it not just room, but recognition that the breath of God created us. That because we are created, we have unalienable rights. Because we don't even own ourselves. The Lord God owns us and created us and loves us. And by virtue of that, we have unalienable rights, which then our founders went through and described some by example, but never, those were never going to be the extent of things government can't do. They were simply examples of things government can't do because we don't belong to government. So in, in, in regard to Romans 13, the famous, you know, follow the authorities and do as you're told, that's, that's in, in our nation, our authority is the Constitution. It is the people through the Constitution, through the representative form of, gov- of government. So when things are blatantly unconstitutional, we need not follow them or have that fear of that we're going against the word of God, particularly if you do that in a perfect way. If you do it in a knee-jerk way, well, well, screw that, I'm not doing that. Then we can run afoul of having our human pride push in and, and push us away from God or create an icon of something. But if we're prayerful about it and you pray and you say, this is unconstitutional to me and you pray and the Lord is settled in your heart. Yeah, this is you should not do this like masks. I have no issue with that. It's wearing a lie that violates the word of God. But if we were to take that circumstance forward and we were to say to the Lord Jesus. If we were to ask him, Lord, should we do the Pledge of Allegiance? Lord God, should, should we do the Pledge of Allegiance? He might look at the flag of the United States. What are you pledging to? Well, we pledge to the country under God. Um, and we use his flag. Well, sh- please show me the flag, Lord might say. Oh, here, here's the flag. And he could look at it and go, yeah, it's a nice flag. It's very well done. Render unto your country that which is your country, that which belongs to your country. Render unto my Father in heaven that which is his. I agree that our primary allegiance must be to the Lord and his word and his son. Because that's what we're told. That's, that's true, long-lasting, forever allegiance. In terms of the pledge, being a pledge to follow blindly the country, I'll never take a pledge to follow any human being blindly or any human-run organization blindly, ever. I can't do it because they could violate the word of God. But our country, when we pledge, it's not just to the flag, it's also to a system and that system recognizes the Lord. With respect to the, the, the pledge being a socialist tool, it may well have begun that way. And no reason to believe Jeremiah is incorrect. And we in our hearts know what we're pledging to. We're pledging to a system that recognizes God as creator of all of our rights because he's creator of all of us. So with that, when the Lord Jesus were he to say, should you take the, should you, should you do the Pledge of Allegiance? Render unto the country that which is the country and uh, countries and unto my Father in heaven that which is his. We pray never to a country. We pray to the Lord. We know that the country can provide 
only so much as the country is given to steward by the Lord. Like no country in you know, no country conjured land. Well, I shouldn't say that because now China, they're conjuring islands, they're building islands. But we didn't conjure, we, we didn't conjure the continents. We steward them. If we are mindful of these things and we simply take a priority, God, country, in my world, God, country, family, friends, work. God, because he's God almighty. Country, because this is the home in which the Lord has decided we will live. Today is the day of the, the, the Lord has created for all of us. These are the times through which God has decided we will live. This is the home. This is the place where God decided we will live. We're to steward it. God, country, family. The Lord invented the family unit. Why would family be after country? Because without a stable country, families are at risk. Look at critical race theory. Look at the perverse pornographic sex ed, which is, by the way, so far outside of the realm of constitutional government. It's effectively forced speech. It's forced thought. It is wildly outside the realm of government. I have absolutely no Romans 13 issue saying, no, my kids aren't going to do that. I'm up to the point now, hey, you're going to continue to do this. You know, it may well be time to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and take a break from property tax, but it would have to be a couple million of us. We're going to take a break from paying it until you stop teaching our kids to masturbate in, in kindergarten or at all. So you have those dynamics. God, country, family, because family is the foundation. Friends, because we're called by God to not be alone. It is not good that man is alone. We're called to break bread with their friends. We're called to be a society together. This is to what we're called. And then work. Well, we're called to toil. And all the things I just described, absent God, because God doesn't need our work, our country, our family, and our friends are sustained by the work done with the energy the Lord God gave us. And the sense that we need to toil and the satisfaction we gain from successful toil or even sometimes from unsuccessful toil, but trying in true good faith and good sense. So to bridge the gap between David's note and Lucas's note and Jeremiah's note, can we all just agree on this, that it's God first? And then your individual conscience and your individual inter interactions with the Lord can determine for you what comes after God. It may be, like in my case, God, country, family, friends, work. It might be, in, in Tim's case, God, country, team. And by the way, I've talked to him and team means to him many things. Family amongst them, not just his SEAL teams or his SEAL team, I should say. But if we allow our zeal and our love for this country, because I do love it. How could I not? But I hate seeing it straying from the Lord. I hate seeing the Lord removed from it. And we're watching the fruits of that removal. That's what we talked about earlier this week. That's all I'm asking us to do is to give to the Lord that which is his and give to the country that which is the country's and understanding the rule books of each. The Lord's is in the Bible. Ours is in the Constitution, simply right-sizing. 
This is the Todd Herman Show. We so appreciate your support. It's always, always great when you share with friends. That's how the show grows. Now, please, of course, please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be mindful that we're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and our neighbors as ourselves.